Hey there, and welcome to Marvel by the Month, the podcast that takes you through the history of Marvel Comics one month at a time. In this episode, that month is May of 1969. My name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. Rob, we don't like to pull back the curtain too far on how we produce this show. <laughs> a lot of trade secrets uh, that we don't want uh, folks to to be privy to. The cracker algorithm, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, I was personally very happy to have this week's guest on. Uh, not only was he an awful lot of fun to talk to, uh, he also got us out of some hot water. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, yes, uh, and our, our Patreon supporters will find out exactly what we are talking about in a couple of days. Uh, or maybe you already found out about it. I you, Honestly, I've lost track of when I post things anymore. So um, <laughs> Time travel is a rough thing. Yeah. Yeah. Doing this podcast is like being Kang the Conqueror, uh, with very little conquering. Yeah, we win more than he does, though. Oh, we don't conquer, but right. we win. We make friends. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to be one of our friends uh, who pays us money, um, <laughs> you can go to patreon.com slash month. back us at the $4 a month level, and you will find out uh, what I was talking about when I said that our guest got us out of some hot water. But nice tease. Hey, there you go. Always be plugging. Um, so uh, we'll be introducing our guest, uh, talking a little bit about the Marvel comics that hit the newsstands in May of 1969 in just a little bit. But before we do that, as we always do, we're going to provide a little historical context by talking about what else was happening in May 1969. Rob, take it away. All right. Uh, on the 2nd of May 1969, the Queen Elizabeth II, the Elizabethanian no, just the Queen Elizabeth II ocean liner, set off from Southampton on its maiden voyage with 1,000 passengers and 400 crew. None of whom were ever seen again. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. uh, the $72 million ship made the first private use of a satellite global positioning system relying on four U.S. Navy satellites to pinpoint her position within 100 feet uh, for navigation. So they were seen and heard from again, from space. <laughs> uh, someone who was not uh, seen nor heard from again, uh, and there was a really good reason for that, on May 9th, 1969, St. Christopher, uh, who was formerly venerated in the Roman Catholic Church as the patron saint of travelers, was dropped from the church's liturgical calendar along with more than 40 other names of people who had been designated as saints, following research within the Vatican that concluded that the persons identified as saints had never actually existed. What? They were wrong? How could they be wrong? I thought this whole infallible thing happened there. Yeah. Um, in, insert joke about Catholics 
no longer believing in something that doesn't exist uh, <laughs> here. Okay. On the 10th of May, the Battle of Hamburger Hill, which would prove to be the most costly U.S. offensive of the Vietnam War, with 72 Americans killed, 7 MIA, and more than 400 wounded, began as an airstrike during Operation Apache Snow. Major General Melvin Zayas ordered a U.S. Army jet and helicopter assault against North Vietnamese artillery on Hill 937 of the South Vietnamese mountain range of Dong Op Bia. Uh, and paratroopers from the 101st Airborne Division were sent in the next day. Yep. Um, on the 13th of May, the Senate and House of Representatives of the U.S. State of Florida... Uh, you may have heard of it, unanimously approved the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution almost 50 years after the amendment had granted American women the right to vote. The amendment had taken effect on August 18, 1920, when Tennessee became the 36th of the then 48 states to approve it. South Carolina, Georgia, Louisiana, and North Carolina would follow in the next two years, while Mississippi would not get around to giving its ratification until March 22nd, 1984 man sometimes uh states rights just seems like a weird thing to keep the civil war rolling um <laughs> uh on the 14th of may 1969 kate blanchett best and only known for portraying Hela or in thor ragnarok hella 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 cool hella 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 uh, uh was born in ivanhoe victoria australia mm-hmm um, and uh, on the 15th of May, uh, Robert Rayford, a 16-year-old black American teenager, identified years later as Robert R., died at the Washington University Medical Center in St. Louis, Missouri, of complications from a baffling medical condition that caused lesions of caposized sarcoma. In 1986, after the human immunodeficiency virus had been found to be the cause of AIDS, Robert R.'s tissue samples would be examined and found to have had the antibodies to HIV and the P24 antigen, making Robert R. the earliest confirmed case of AIDS in America. Uh, also on the 15th, Abe Fortas became the first U.S. Supreme Court justice to resign as the result of a scandal. In 1966, while serving on the court, Fortas entered into an agreement with a charitable foundation funded by financier... Lewis Wolfson, which contemplated that Fortis would receive $20,000 per year for life for services. That's a pretty generous charity. Yeah. The story of the pact with the Wolfson Family Foundation and Fortis's acceptance of a $20,000 payment was revealed on May 4th by Life magazine. Man, back when you could actually lose your job for doing something terrible. <laughs> it was a magical time. <laughs> Uh, well, that is uh, a little taste of what was going on in the world in May of 1969. We are going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about the comics of May 1969 right here on Marvel by the Month. Rob, it's time to pay the bills. Woohoo! 
Uh, we are so grateful that so many people are interested in listening to the stuff that we put out week after week. And we are even more grateful to the growing number of you who support us with a little financial remuneration each month at patreon.com slash Marvel by the month. Yeah, this show is a lot of fun to do, and it's also a lot of work. And we basically work for tips. Your tips. Yes, uh, your support makes it easier for us to find the time and resources to make this show. And listeners who support us at the $4 a month level at patreon.com slash Marvel by the month get a bunch of great stuff every week, including uncut episodes that feature longer conversations with your favorite guests and subscriber exclusive bonus episodes. Yes, the first of which features this week's guest and will be in your super secret bonus feed very soon if it's not there already. Again, I can't remember when I'm supposed to post things. <laughs> Each and every week, Patreon subscribers get additional content you can't hear anywhere else. Plus, they don't have to listen to us ask them for money every week. Sign up at patreon.com slash Marvel by the month to instantly get access to all our past, present, and future subscriber exclusive content. Okay, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. We are very excited to bring this week's guest onto the program. He was a longtime writer and editor for DC Comics in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, working on Superman, Doom Patrol, Vigilante, Aryan Lord of Atlantis, and many others. He scripted the life and death of Archie Andrews in the Eisner-nominated Life with Archie series. And somewhere along the line, he was also the executive editor of the Weekly World News. Uh, Paul Kupperberg, we're so glad to have you back on Marvel by the Month. Thanks. Nice to be here. I have to hear more about this Weekly World News thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was great. That was the um, best gig I ever had. I can um, imagine. Yeah, I was uh, uh, a friend of mine, um, uh, Jeff Rogan, uh, took over as, as editor of, of Weekly World News. And um, um, I started doing some writing for them. And uh, after a while, Jeff was revamping the staff. Uh, everything was down in Florida. The, the Weekly World News is owned by um, uh, uh, American Media, which is the same company that owns National uh, Enquirer and, and you know, all, all those trash uh, 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 tabloids. Um, anyway, um, he brought me on as, as, you know, executive editor and I started, uh, you know, doing some, trying to get licensing and, and writing and, uh, uh, we hired a whole bunch of, a whole staff in New York and, and yeah, I was there for about a year and a half. Um, had a great time. It was a, it was a wonderful, you know, really a fun job. Um, not taxing at all. <laughs> well, you know, like I was used to getting out, you know, eight comic books in a special or two a month. Sure. And now, now I had to get out, you know, like four issues of a 48 page tabloid. Yeah. Gone, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> and I had a staff to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it was great. And, and it was just a ball writing for them too. You know, I got to do, uh, Weird stories, uh, you know, I did a story about uh, uh, all the rabbits who were suing the rabbit's foot lucky charm industry. Because um, <laughs> all those poor little rabbits with the little carts, you know, that they were pushing themselves around with. And um, another one was, uh, my favorite story was a, a little little filler piece, but it was about um, a fight that broke out at a, um, uh, 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 boy, if I could remember the name of the disability 
that I was uh, doing it about. Oh, yes, it was a fight that broke out at a dyslexics convention <laughs> because everybody thought they had the winning raffle ticket. <laughs> so, uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, not a, not a ton of fact-checking needed, uh, not a ton of research no, in fact, either. In, yeah. in, in, in very, in, you know, very straightforward three- or four-point type on, on page three, it said, all this shit's made up. You know, <laughs> I used to say we all, we even made up the horoscope, and then people would look at me and go, "Everybody just makes up the horoscope." <laughs> <laughs> oh right, yeah. Oh man, fantastic! Well, uh, Paul, you are just about the perfect guest for our show, um, and uh, not just because of your considerable professional experience, um, because of my wit and wisdom. Sure. Well, that yeah. as well, of sure. course. Yeah. Uh, Yep, yeah, we'll easily. Go with that. Sure. You're easily the <laughs> you're you're the best looking guy on the Zoom call right now. Um, well, yeah, but you know that's like damning with faint praise. So. <laughs> go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so you uh, you mentioned uh, in your recent book, I never write for the money, uh, but I always turn in the manuscript for a check. That the late '60s were really the sweet spot for your uh, comics fandom uh, yeah. growing up. Uh, do you recall reading the two issues that we're going to be talking about in just a few minutes? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they, when I look back through them, they, they, it's like, you know, I remember the, the, uh, the Thor story, I remember because of him, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, not Thor, him. Right. You know, yeah. Who's on first? Who's on first, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the FF, yeah, I, I do. And I also, uh, uh, I had, um, um, uh, you know, I remembered that cover, that, mm-hmm. the, the madness of the mole man. <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, it, yeah. it was interesting revisiting them. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, uh, the theme of uh, the season of the show that we're doing right now um, is the countdown to Jack Kirby's departure from Marvel Comics uh, and his subsequent arrival at DC, uh, where he would go on to uh, create his fourth world. Um, and uh, I seem to recall reading in your book that uh, a very young Paul Kupperberg was not necessarily the biggest fan of the fourth world at the time. No, no, I reviewed it for the first issue of uh, the fanzine that Paul Levitz and I were putting out, which is called et cetera. Um, and uh, the, 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 the fourth world stuff had just hit and I wrote a review and said, yeah, not the best, you know, <laughs> not, not Kirby's strongest. And I still stand by that. <laughs> um, what did you find so off-putting about it at the time? Um, not off-putting, but I just didn't think it was as strong as, you know, as, as this stuff at Marvel had been. And, you know, and, and this has gotten me into trouble. But, um, you know, I am, I am of the opinion that whatever the actual breakdown of work was between Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, neither of them were ever as good alone as they were with each other, ever. Um, you know, uh, Jack is a, was a lovely man, but his dialogue writing skills were <laughs> passable. Um, you know, he had he, he didn't his characters didn't have any voices of their own. Everybody sounded alike. You know, you had your stereotypes. You had you had, you either had Thing or 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 Reed. You know, there was the guy who used regular speech or the guy who, who was the Brooklyn guy. You know, mm. um, and. Um, you know, and you can even see it in these, in, in these, you know, the, the, the FF and the Thor issues we're looking at. Um, it's obvious that, that 
um, Jack is doing the predominance of, of the plotting um, because there's not a lot going on and lots of big panels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good sign. Yeah. Yep. You know, and it's like, oh, okay, he's, he's, you know, he's on autopilot at this point. Um, yeah. I, I don't know, was because he was fed up with with how things were going at Marvel or, I mean, this is still a little too early for, um, well, when, when did this, no, no, he was still going for another. He's about a, got about a year left. A year yeah. ago, yeah, about yeah. a year mm-hmm. to go. So, yeah, so mm-hmm. he's, he's already talking to DC at this point, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think he knows he's heading out the door mm-hmm. and he's, um, you know, probably putting more more thought into um, into the fourth world books mm-hmm. than he is to, to FF at this point. Yeah, well, he, certainly, I mean, we've, heard you know anecdotal stories that you know around this time and and really for the past year or two at this point that you know Roz had been encouraging him you know it's like hey yeah don't don't give that to marvel you know not not until Put we get a better in the deal. file cabinet yeah. exactly yeah <laughs> no i mean she was right i mean mm-hmm. um you know there was you know for years we used to make fun of of roy thomas for you know uh, uh julie schwartz would call guys who would do nothing but resurrect old characters call them goddamn archaeologists <laughs> <laughs> like let's create something new and goddamn archaeologists are digging up whatever you know. um but you know at some point you realize oh roy wasn't just being an archaeologist roy was just not giving marvel everything mm-hmm. you know he could have created his own characters easily mm-hmm. but why hand that to Marvel? You know, mm-hmm. in in a way, you know, he was right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, not in a way he was right. Why, you know? But back then, you know, you created something. Where else were you taking it? Right. Mm-hmm. Who's going to publish it? Um, but you know, um, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm sure that Jack was 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 looking forward to his next adventure. Yes, I think yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, and I think uh, with Roy, well, some people we talked to Mark Wade about this, but he always said, or he said he was a you know not a world builder. He he liked uh, he really yeah. likes to write in the rails and have that world and these characters established and then riff on it. You know, uh, so there are writers where that's just that's what their focus is not. I agree. I, I mean, I think, um, you know, certainly in, uh, certainly in comics, you know, um, the things, you know, things I created were, were, you know, other, well, Arion was, could have been anywhere, but, um, you know, the other things were all, you know, very specific to the DC universe. Um, you know, Checkmate was supposed to be the, the, the shield of, of, uh, for the DCU and, uh, uh, Tachyon, you know, I, I, I tied that in with, uh, with, with Kirby's fourth world stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's what you do. You're, you, 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 you write in this world, you know, this bigger world. So that's what you, that's where you create for. Um, and also, you know, it's so much easier to walk into an already existing character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't have to explain everything, you know. Sure. Uh, yeah. Although, you know, what Julie Schwartz told me, he, he, uh, when I turned in my first Superman script to him, he said, uh, you know, you don't tell anybody that Clark Kent is Superman. And then, well, everybody knows Clark Kent is Superman. And he goes, you never know. This could be somebody's first story. 
Mm-hmm. There you All go. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. my cousins didn't know who Lex Luthor was. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Paul, we're really looking forward to uh, talking with you about these issues. Um, we'll take a look at what uh, the King was up to uh, in May of 1969. Uh, and we'll go ahead and kick things off with uh, Fantastic Four number 89. Um, this story uh, is called The Madness of the Mole Man. Uh, yeah, it's by Stanley and Jack Kirby with uh, some beautiful inks by Joe Sinnott, as always. Um, so uh, I'll just kind of walk us through this story but please feel free to jump in uh, at any point uh, and point out the uh, hilarity or awesomeness as you see fit <laughs> uh, so um, just sort of a, as a setup for the issue uh, to remind folks of where we are uh, Reed and Sue Richards uh, made an incredibly unwise home purchasing decision uh, last issue um, this is the first time they bought a house together as husband and wife and you know they, they made some rookie mistakes uh, you know, Reed, he might be the smartest person in the Marvel Universe, uh, but, you know, even he should not have tried to buy a house without some professional assistance. Because mm-hmm. um, first of all, like even some like basic due diligence on the property uh, would have revealed that it, uh, A, didn't exist a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> uh, and B, it was definitely not permitted. Uh, so, yeah, and then if they'd gotten a home inspection, um, it would have warned them about the presence of vermin, uh, <laughs> specifically moles, uh, very specifically <laughs> one mole in particular. I got to tell you, Mr. Richards, the place is lousy with mole uh <laughs> I'm going to have to set traps. Maybe lay down some poison. These moments, once they get in here, forget it. Oh, they'll take over the earth. Um, yeah, he, he mole man. Uh, he is the actual owner of the of the house uh, the, of this crazy uh, space age high tech alien looking thing, um, uh, and uh, it's all part of his latest master plan to conquer the surface world. Uh, and and the scheme is that he's going to blind everyone on the surface, uh, just as he has already done to the FF. Uh, so they're they're blind and helpless, um, and they're kind of fumbling around as he is just uh, having his way with them. I feel like we um, were. This is ripe for a Daredevil crossover. Um, you know, for this to go one issue further, have him affect New York City, but have Daredevil. Of course, though, whenever everyone there's something that makes people lose their sight, Daredevil gains his sight. You know, there, uh, there's always some weird goofy twist in those uh, <laughs> but you know it seems like this would be the perfect thing for daredevil to solve the problem at some point but yeah um, luckily it, it wrapped up sooner than that um <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you got a, a few good pages of uh, some classic kirby action um large panels uh he's uh you know big bold images and uh, also you know not working any harder than he absolutely has to, which, uh, well, it's, you know, I'm scrolling through it here and it's just a big fight scene. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just <laughs> page after page of fight scene and, and yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and we do get, uh, on, on page six, uh, one of those classic, uh, Kirby collages. Yes. Um, yes. Where we see, uh, there's a, an alien spaceship that's coming around the dark side of the moon. Uh, at that time, the dark side of the moon was very popular in the news um, as we were getting ready to uh, make our first moon landing uh, a couple months away. And the album. Oh, yes. Yep. That's on its way. Um, 
But uh, yeah, this is not just any alien craft. It is a scroll craft. I hate uh, when that happens. <laughs> yep, they're they're everywhere. If it's not moles, it's scrolls. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's a, a specific scroll. Uh, his name is the Slaver. Um, and uh, even though the Scroll Emperor has said, "Hey, leave Earth alone," uh, we you know keep getting our butts handed to us every time we land on this planet. Um, he's like, "Nope, I gotta go." There's someone in particular that I need to capture. Uh, and bring them back for the Skrull Games, which I assume is going to be some sort of, like, Skrull Olympics or something like or that. Or Skrull Survivor, yeah. Right, yeah, <laughs> something like that. No, it's it's, it's, it's Skrull British Bake Off. <laughs> <laughs> that would be lovely. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we're not going to find out this issue, uh, what that one's all about. Uh, that's going to have to wait till next issue. Um, uh, meanwhile, we get back into uh, Reed and Sue's new mole cave, uh, the FF continue fumbling around uh, and trying to defeat the Mole Man, uh, which is really pretty embarrassing for them. Um, uh, and uh, Reed, uh, eventually he nearly gets himself killed uh, trying to uh, take the Mole Man's energy staff away from him. Um, it gives Sue the opportunity to snatch Mole's glasses off of his face, uh, which he says... Uh, uh, it's, it's his um, one weakness. His one weakness, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, my one I, weakness, if you remove my pocket protector, I am helpless. <laughs> I, I feel like the Mole Man is kind of nothing but a collection of weaknesses, but, uh, yeah. but yeah. He, he makes it work for him. Yeah. I do. Uh, so this issue has so many clear warnings that, that something's wrong. I mean, we've there have been a bunch of warnings building up to this issue. So it's obvious their house is, is causing like everybody to have painful headaches and there's like a buzzing throughout. <laughs> Again, no one, no one's even looked. They don't know if there's plumbing in this place at this point. There's just a weird humming and space age everything. It looks like like the Watchers vacation cabin. Um, but it's yeah, it's so which is what I expected when I first saw uh, something like that. But um, so there's just been every indication to read the smartest man in the Marvel universe that this isn't a place that they should be moving into, but they try to play it as this um, sort of domestic issue where he doesn't want to contradict Sue as much, you know, uh, with her choice. I, I feel I know, that. I, in always, there. I always kind of got the, the, you know, like going back to my early rereading uh, of, of VFF, uh, we guess I think it was issue 19 or something like that, and and it starts off in the laboratory, and Reed is announcing he's discovered, you know, blah blah blah, and this could finally his last prove that there is life in outer space. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait a minute, you've already met the Super Scrolls and the Impossible Man. <laughs> <laughs> Question answered. Yeah. Right. Uh, but this you know, proves it. <laughs> it proves it. You know, Reed was, but you know, see, again, we come back to 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 comic book world, to comic book, you know, universes, and characters have to do stupid shit. It's like horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> if if characters don't do stupid shit, you don't have a movie. Right. Right. Oh, let's hide in the basement. No, let's get out of here. Oh, that's a better idea. The end. Right. Um, you know, so. They're forced into into being idiots and to acting irrationally and to doing things, you know, uh, it, it's like what would be more boring than, you know, this issue, the FF have their house inspected. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so so instead of having the house inspected, it's like, you know, it's an evil house and it's going to do bad shit to them. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. You know, so it's, it's like, you know, people used to say, asked me when I was writing the life 
life of Archie stuff. It's like, why is every why why are you putting them through such misery? Why don't you let them be? It's like, well, because that's not interesting. Yeah, yeah. Nobody. I don't want to read about happy people. Yeah, right. The characters you know, must suffer. Yes. Characters must suffer. <laughs> and you know, if if you're if you're a character's cousin, you're still screwed. Yeah. yeah. You know, because eventually we're going to get to you because. It's ongoing serialized fiction, and we have to screw with everybody eventually, or we run out of stories. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know. I like yeah, that. It's a boiling it down to a, a nice writing tip: you screw with everybody in that universe. Yeah, you have to. There, <laughs> yeah. There's yep. no, you know, it doesn't. Eventually, we'll get to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? There was, uh, I think it was it. It's either Tom Brevoort or Matt Fraction who was telling us about this, but uh, it's 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 a story about how. Uh, John Romita Jr. when he was a boy, you know, and he would, you know, sit next to his dad while he was drawing and you know, he'd be reading the Spider-Man comics and he'd just say, dad, why do you, why do you keep, why do you hate Spider-Man so much? Why do you keep doing all this terrible stuff to Spider-Man? And, you know, Romita Sr. had to explain mm-hmm. to him, like, this is how it works. No one, yeah, it's like, you may think you want Peter Parker to have this happy, placid existence everything's going great for him all his problems are solved he's got money in the bank and spider-man's a hero but you'll get sick of that in about three issues um and then you're going to be begging for you know doc ock to bust out of prison again and rough him up Mm -hmm. yeah and by the same token you know it's like you know like you know j jonah jameson Mm -hmm. how long can he hold on to this you know it's like (laughs) it's like you know you got at some point you know jonah (laughs) <laughs> you just got to admit, all right, I misjudged the guy. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> like, but no, it never happened because, you know, you're you're removing an essential element to the character. Yep. And you're, you know, you're also removing another, one layer of conflict, which you're going to need eventually because you'll, you know, the other conflicts will, will you, you got to run through the cycle again. Yeah. So, yep. I think they got yep. there in like 2018 or something uh, where... Jonah finds out who, who that Spider-Man is, Peter Parker, and becomes a supporter. Uh, but then it just makes Jonah another of the characters that are constantly in peril because they're yeah. around Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so they solved it by just flipping him to the other, the Aunt May characteristic of, you know, uh, yeah. constantly causing more stress for the, the main character. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Superman and Lois Lane, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. that's the prime example. It's like, you know, at some point, you know, he's just going to have to let her fall out the window. Enough's <laughs> enough. Yeah. It's like, all right, you know. Be more careful around windows, Lois. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Boy, <laughs> Lois, well, you shouldn't have been hanging out that window. Um, you know, it's just, it, it, it's, you know, one of my favorite pages ever out of a comic book is from a 1958 uh, uh, story. It was called um, uh, the, f- like, the First Time Lois Lane Suspected Clark Kent Was Superman. Pretty on-the-nose title. <laughs> and the, the story, um, you know, it, it, Clark was thinking back on the days before Lois was always suspecting he was Superman and how she would always, sh- she knew she had deduced for whatever reason that the uh, Superman the secret identity had to work as a daily planet. We don't know how she got there. It's, I, I called it Weisinger logic. You know, <laughs> what Weisinger's logic was, if I say it, good enough. It's yeah. story. 
So um, he's, he remembers they, they're at a, a picnic, a, a Daily Planet picnic at the beach. And um, Lois is going around poking everybody with a hat pin, you know, to, to see if they're... So Clark, um, uh, he, 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 he's got a foam rubber arm that he keeps in the trunk of his car, which is of course. an emergency. <laughs> and he buries himself in the sand with the foam rubber arm out. And leaves it there for Lois to, you know, feel and oh, look at this soft, squishy arm. You can't be Superman. And then he's indignant when she doesn't even bother to try to stick him with the pin to find out if he's Superman. <laughs> you know, and, and that was, you know, but it was so perfectly emblematic of, of the stories of that of, of that time. Mm-hmm. You know, here was this, you know, what did Superman do with his superpowers? He played tricks on on mom and his sister, yeah. you know. He, he like was always trying to fool them uh, that he, you know, and they were always trying to trick him into. But, but it was it was like, what would a ten year old do with these powers? Mm-hmm. Pretty well, pretty pretty accurate, you know. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was, you know, that's why that stuff works so well. Even no matter how stupid it was, it was still kind of had that leave it to Beaver logic, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of like sitcom silliness and you just go well screw it sure yeah why not you know and, and you're 10 and it's you know 1958 what the hell do you know um, yeah. so you know it just the the problem started when we out when people who should have outgrown this stuff continued reading it but with the expectation that it would engage them at their own level, that it would continue to engage them at their own level when, you know, comics don't mature that way. You know, the, the comic book story doesn't mature that way. You eventually reach a point where it's like, you know, most people, even back then, you know, would, would, would reach the point is like, yeah, okay, enough with comic books, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's fine. You know, that was publishers in, in the first, you know, 40 years of comics, figured kids read them from about, you know, eight years old to 12 or 13 years old, and then they were done. And that was just the accepted wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but we don't do that anymore. Now you've got 40-year-olds reading comic books. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on the one hand, you want to accept what's going on in the story because, you know, you've just spent, eight. what is it, $18 an issue these days? Yeah, it's like about $72 <laughs> an issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you want to feel like you, you know, you got, but in reality, it's just really kind of like a more pretentious version of the same old shit. Mm-hmm. With just, you know, you're just trying to use, you know, more sophisticated art and 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 uh, more sophisticated language, but you're still doing the same. Like, oh, Lois is falling out the window, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know. Do you think? Do you think this era of Marvel was sort of the beginning of that trend? Because, you know, at this point, like Stan is going around to college campuses. Yeah. He's giving talks and and he's printing letters from, you know, folks writing in from colleges like Walt Simonson. We've seen him show up a few times writing in from Amherst sure. College. So and you've got, you know, respected yeah. film directors coming around and going, what are you doing? You know, and, and you've got, you know, sociologists taking this stuff seriously and and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, the media is taking it very uh, they're not taking the comic seriously mm-hmm. um you know we're still tagged with that biff bam boom right you know batman 66 uh, uh onomatopoeia thing every time there's a, a comic book headline but you know but people were taking them more seriously um not as a source of literature mm-hmm. 
but as you know, more in the more in the realm of, of pop culture, you know, it was a pop culture thing. It was it was, it was more Andy Warhol than it was uh, you know uh, Picasso. Sure. Um, you know, so um, and and the comics started taking themselves, and also you know fans were coming in. You know, I was kind of the second or third wave of fans who started coming in to write comics. You know, Roy mm-hmm. was the first. Uh, then you got Lennon Marvin and. Uh, uh, you know, Jerry Conway and Mike Friedrich and, and Gary Friedrich. And you got all these guys coming in and we all grew up in this stuff and we have ideas, mm-hmm. you know, we're not falling into it because we're, you know, we're guys who just, you know, want to pay the rent. Um, we're, we're, if we wanted to pay the rent, we shouldn't have gotten into comics. <laughs> we knew that. <laughs> so the fans started coming in and fans need to elevate the, the form. Fans need to, you know, take it to the next level. Um, and it's hard to do that. I mean, there are plenty, you know, you can do... Comics are not limited. I think the superhero form is limited in comics. Mm-hmm. Um, comics can do anything any movie or TV show or, or, or novel does. Um, you know, it, 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 it's a perfectly fine form it's just the superhero thing is what is what drags it down i think at this point and mm-hmm. you know and i'm saying this look i'm going to be 66 this month <laughs> i've been reading comic books um you know for for 60 years mm-hmm. and um i'm no longer the audience you know mm-hmm. they're not making comic books for me they're making mm-hmm. comic books for for you know i guess for you guys i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but you know um you know, so I, I've seen it. You know, I've seen it go from infantile to to things like Mouse mm-hmm. and and the Hernandez brothers, and uh, you know, there's, there's so much great stuff going on in graphic novels and and, and stuff these days. Um, you know, very really great, valid, um, uh, interesting stuff. Um, you know, so you know, it, comics have achieved that level, but I don't think superhero comics ever quite get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, the. I mean, really, Brian and I had already graduated to sort of post superhero mm. comics. Uh, we still read comics because they were changing at that time when you know uh, the late eighties, early nineties. Um, when I was really reading them, my dad had collected too, so I had mm-hmm. um, started really early. But I, yeah, I think they. Um, you know, that's part of the problem, uh, that, that superheroes can only do so much. Bruce Wayne can only go so far before he has to sort of reset or, um, you know, stay in his loop. So then you start to wander off. And it's also, you know, if, if you're going to, you know, I've said this for years, uh, Superman and flash stories and even Superman stories, they should all end on page two, panel two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Page one, bad guys doing whatever they do. Page two, panel one, street comes flying through. Page two, panel two, they're in jail and Superman or Flash are standing there going, gotcha. Yeah. You know, I mean, but instead, uh, you know, uh, the reason I, I stopped watching the, the CW shows is, is, you know, you'd have the Flash be distracted for five seconds, 
And when he turned back around, the bad guys were gone, and they don't have super speed. Right, right. You know, same thing with Supergirl. You know, 10 seconds, and they're gone. Well, you know, she's got super speed, super hearing, super vision. They're not getting far. Right, right. But, you know, but no, because for dramatic reasons, you know, it's the same reason why they have to get their ass kicked for the first, uh, you know, two acts mm-hmm. until yep. they until they finally in the third act go, no, I've got my resolve. Yes. And then they go ahead and they, you know, they beat the crap out of the other guy. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, I think we, it's we, really we better. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I think th- there was an issue of Spider-Man that we read fairly recently for the show that uh, where Peter Parker literally is thinking to himself, uh, it's like, I'm probably going to get beat up the first time, but the second time I see this guy, <laughs> it's going to be a different story. Which is every it's like, Peter Parker supervillain encounter. Yeah, yeah, it's like Spidey himself has already internalized the formula. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. you know, and, and yeah. just to just to get us back on track so we can close out this FF issue, uh, that's exactly what happens here. Um, <laughs> surprise, reader. This is what um, should have happened on page two, panel two. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, th- one thing I do like, though, is, uh, is the, the human torch uh, disarms the bull man. He blows up the staff. Um, and then uh, bull man, he, he's just uh, – he kind of breaks down into this weepy mess. Um, <laughs> and he's just like – As he always uh, did. Yeah. He always did. Yeah. He, he's like, I just wanted to walk on the surface again to, to see the dawn come up, to feel the warmth of the sun. You can't condemn me for that. And then uh, it's great. Like uh, Johnny Storm just like flames down and then goes like up one side of him and down the other. Um, <laughs> and just like, you know, uh, it's like saying it's like, hey, Ben Grimm had, a, you know, bigger problems than you had. His girlfriend, Alicia, she had bigger problems. And, you know, and, you know, basically it's like suck it up and deal with it, son. Um, yeah. So. That's pretty great. It's a solid um, moral that you don't get very often, and and especially out of Johnny Storm's mouth. Uh, that yeah. ca- that character is not known for his wisdom. Uh, That's the most grown up he's ever been. Um, and then uh, and Ben does some, uh, I guess, super CPR to read um, for a to, very to, long time. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then uh, and and everyone's fine. Uh, Status quo is uh, restored, um, and then we will find out what that scroll was doing uh, next issue. So that it's nothing good. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> He's called the Slaver, so that's not a good yeah. name. Yeah, yeah, right there. No. Right there. What was his mother <laughs> thinking? <laughs> We're gonna name you Slaver, and you're it's gonna go. You'll have a nice career as a as as a CPA. <laughs> no, ma, I got to live up to my destiny. I was going to be a pediatrician. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Only you would name me the pediatrician. <laughs> but no, the slaver. Uh, uh, oh, well. Uh, so, Rob, we got uh, one more issue to talk about. Uh, it's the other issue that Kirby did this month. Yeah. Uh, um, anybody, you need a break uh, before we jump into this one, Paul? No, no, I, I, I went pee before we started. So awesome. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I just have my space diapers on. Um. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was a, I thought it was a, a, a dig at me being a, at my age. Oh no! <laughs> no. I know you have to pee every fifteen minutes at your age. But no. I would I would never do that. I am a six foot five man with the bladder of an infant. So uh, no. that's nice. Yeah, thank you for sharing. <laughs> I love to overshare. Uh, so okay, let let us jump back in here then. Uh, Let's get Thor. Okay, so let's get into Thor number 166, A God Berserk. 
This is uh, by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby with Vince Coletta inking. So I'll go through the summary and jump in as you like. Um, So him has captured Sif and run off with her. Just lowercase her. <laughs> lowercase H. He's yes. a genetically perfect specimen. And you so mean is Jim she. got shipped? <laughs> yeah. And back in the 1960s, we used to amuse the hell out of ourselves with that joke. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, Thor has shipped. <laughs> he could take some Asgardian, you know, medication for that. Yeah, um, yeah some sure. Some Asgardian penicillin and it'll be <laughs> yeah. fine. Yeah. Maybe something topical. Uh, so he he picks her because he's genetically perfect, and so is she. And nobody ever taught him about dating versus kidnapping. So he's just he's got a lot to learn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Thor vows revenge with a huge tantrum, like a uh, wrath of God type tantrum. We haven't seen because there this. is no power equal to his. Yeah, he yep. he really goes off on a pro wrestling rant uh you know about how strong he is or a, a rap song i don't know one of those two but by the way i also work for the wwe so nice nice <laughs> i i also I, I used to write their uh video game scripts and storylines oh cool so, i worked on yeah. their kids magazine <laughs> oh the wwe kids mag was great yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice yep. Um, so we both got checks from Vince McMahon. That's nice. <laughs> we both had sex with Vince McMahon. We got checks what? from Vince McMahon. Oh yeah. No, cause I had sex with Vince McMahon. I didn't know how you knew. He is very handsy. I've heard. Um, he was a, he was a, he was a very old man. <laughs> Just ask him. Yeah. Oh man. Meanwhile, back I, in, I, I worked for Sean. So. Oh, oh, you did. Okay. So, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was that was a brain trust. <laughs> anyway, I uh, trust there was a brain in there. I don't know. Yeah, you you have to take it on faith because there's no I evidence. I never saw any evidence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Meanwhile, uh, that's a, that's our transition always. Um, Carnilla. I know. I write comic books. Uh, <laughs> we call that a capture transition caption. Yes. Suddenly. <laughs> meanwhile. Uh, um. Carnilla, the Norn Queen, is still trying to ensnare Balder, who she's fallen really hard for. Um, her witchy lackey, uh, Hag, I think it's Hag with like two A's, so it sounds like a, you know, some kind of Ikea furniture, but... Uh, yeah, Guar- guarantee that's a Kirby name. Yeah. <laughs> Hag uh, <laughs> yeah, says yeah. that her love magic worked, but Balder's sense of duty is stronger than his love for Carnilla. So... Mm-hmm. Um, he should have got the love potion number nine, but he loves duty more than that. Um, so Hag starts working on a sort of voodoo doll or puppet master figure uh, to increase the potency of the spell. And more more on that in a future issue. But uh, Mjolnir transports Thor and Balder to where him was taken has taken Sif. So uh, I can't wait. I'm going to be so happy when he changes his name to Adam. Yeah, Warlock, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's just, yeah, uh, I can't air quote, you know, we're, it's a podcast. It's just audio. So, uh, um, yeah. So Balder begs Thor to let him go first since he feels responsible for Sif's abduction. But Thor says, <laughs> Thor says him nay. Uh, and then him, causes Balder to be wrapped up on vines so Balder's out of the fight before he even gets into it. 
Yeah. Uh, him tries to explain to Thor that he doesn't want to fight and he isn't going to hurt Sif. He's just a lonely guy who doesn't understand the difference between dating and kidnapping. Uh, <laughs> Thor isn't having it and they fight and fight and fight. Uh, yeah. Which is Another typical of Kirby. Exten- yeah. Yep. Of this era. Yeah. <laughs> just uh, eight pages of fighting. Just fighting and fighting. Um, so, <laughs> where am I at here? Uh, so him holds his own against the Thunder God. Uh, so we really get to see him put over, you know, how strong he is. So the those enclave oh, scientists no. knew what they were doing when they built his artificial body. Um, as the fight goes on, Thor descends into warrior madness, uh, which might have been okay in ancient Norse mythology, but it's a big no-no in modern times. Uh <laughs> I do think it's funny that he gets in so much trouble for like going into a berserker rage when like basically that's what the Vikings were all about. Right. Um, uh, at least so as we know from Eric, the Viking, you know, the movie. Right. Um, I do love my, making berserker jokes. Uh, we've, <laughs> <laughs> we have in my family for generations. Um, so uh, as the fight goes on, uh, he goes into warrior madness and while looking for Galactus across the universe, Odin accidentally tunes into Thor's fight and is appalled and is appalled that his son has fallen into warrior madness. So he says that any god who succumbs to warrior madness must pay a severe penalty for it. So at this point, it is not Asgardian PC to have warrior madness. Um, no. Back on, you got to be civilized. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Uh, uh, he, you, you can't act I out of any rules. Malady of all. Yeah, that's what it seems to be. <laughs> so back on the battlefield, him has had enough. He cocoons up and shoots into space to escape from Thor. <laughs> uh, and once again, uh, he looks like that sort of weird stack of ribs. Um, once him leaves, so does Thor's warrior madness. And he's ashamed of how he behaved, of course. Uh, Sif and Balder free themselves and tell Thor that he must atone for his actions. So everybody knows the rule about warrior madness. Uh, yeah. We've never heard I about mean, it before, but we've never, yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, it's like, this is known universally in Asgard and, and yet the first time it's ever come. Yeah. Up, so. Okay. Um, and Odin is the one who decides how Thor must make amends and he's already come up with Thor's atonement. Thor is going to have to hop into the newly built cosmos craft and scour the known universe until he finds Galactus. Thus speaks Odin. Yeah. There you go. He knows what he's doing. Um, he knows all. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just a... Uh, I don't know I don't know which issue, fa- Fantastic Four, or this was m- more nonsensical, but... Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, it's a hard choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do, I always find it funny, um, when you're reading one of these, uh, more recent Kirby books, um, you know, and, and most of the issue is either, you know, single panel pages or, you know, four panels to a page. And then you start getting closer to the end and you get into that final page and he's just cramming in these tiny panels. It's like, I got to wrap this thing up. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there you go. Um, you know, lots of big punching and kicking and some, you know, dramatic action, and Thor is going to go uh, scour the universe to find Galactus. Yeah. So that's where we're leaving so, off. Uh, you know, what were your thoughts, Paul, on this, uh, on revisiting this one? Uh, <laughs> um, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a holding action. There doesn't seem, you know, this, um, 
uh, yeah, I, you know, this could have been done in six pages. <laughs> yes. <you know? laughs> um, yeah, there was just so much of that kind of stuff going on. You know, it was like, uh, I guess it was good that Stan was starting to get help at this point, you know, that there mm. were other writers coming in and, and taking over books because, um, you know, there was so much going on that, yeah. um, you know, like, I don't think the Marvel universe was ever a conscious, you know, creation. I think it was, you know, sometime around 1967, you know, when, when, when guys like Roy and, 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 and the others were coming in and they went, Oh, well, you know, this kind of ties together. You know, this guy, this was here and this happened then. And then, yeah, we can make this work. Um, uh, so, you know, the, it, you can you can see the lack of a grand design, I think, in, in a lot of these stories. You know, there's just like, you know, how, you know, you could have tied in, you know, the FF and Thor could have been, you know, somehow this is Galactus. They could have been working together. This could have been mm -hmm. a crossover. This, you know, this could have had, but, you know, I don't think, yeah, I, I, I don't think Stan was thinking that way anymore. And I, I don't and certainly Jack was just kind of like, you know, like you said before, it's kind of holding action. He's just, um, mm -hmm. you know, filling the pages until he can get to DC and, uh, and the new gods. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, it, it, at this point, I mean, we know that Kirby's getting ready to leave it. I mean, Stan's not going to be writing comics for that much longer either. Right. He, he's a year or two away from just taking the editor position and, and uh and no longer writing um yeah he's so. more into the whole licensing and and uh you know, the, the yeah. and tv stuff yeah at this point um yeah. you know yeah so um yeah it's it's interesting to see you know we're, we're sort of as this evolution point where you have the next generation coming up they're not quite there yet uh, right but yeah um but yeah uh also uh and Paul, you could probably speak to this better than we could since you were reading these at the time. But was there kind of a sense that uh, did was one of the knocks on Marvel that they had too many continued stories at the time? I feel like I've heard this from you know different places that you know there's uh, just you know they had a reputation for it. it's like you can't finish a story in one issue. Um, you know everything's like a two or three or four part story. Yeah, I, it was a little bit of that. I mean, you know, there there were a lot of like I say, you know this could have been dispatched a lot quicker and told, mm -hmm. you know, told much more efficiently. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think again, that whole kind of ad hoc, you know, universe that, that they were coming up with at the time. It was just, you know, um, uh, they, they were vamping, you know, mm -hmm. they, they were just, you know, you have to keep these stories moving, mm -hmm. you know, certainly you look through the, this issue and it's like, it gives every illusion of having movement. You know, you got, well, I mean, you, you know, Thor starts at one place and by the end of the issue, he's off to another place. So that's something Whether yeah. mm -hmm. where he's going, you know, has any interest or value. That's a whole nother story. You know, it's like, um, you know, what does Galactus have to do with, with Asgard? You know, mm -hmm. where, where, what's, uh, why, you know, I don't remember why was, why was Odin, you know, have the hots to find uh, Galactus? Um, yeah, well, w what Kirby wanted to do uh, is have this all wrap up where because uh, because Thor had driven Galactus off a few issues prior okay. um, f from a different planet fighting uh, the, the living that, planet ego. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, ego, right. And then 
apparently what Kirby wanted to do is have Galactus come back to Asgard uh, and kill off all the gods. And, and and yeah, and and crash it to Earth, and then you would have had this race of new gods <laughs> rise from mm-hmm. the ashes. And uh, but that's not how things turned out. No, so I yeah. guess not. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Forgot about that. Yep. Well, uh, well, that's that's our comics uh, for this month, um, and uh, the only thing left to do right now, uh, as we always do, is close out with uh, a recommendation of something uh, that uh, our listeners might want to check out that is not a Marvel comic uh, from June of 1969. Um, so I will uh, go ahead and start here. Uh, in, in honor of our guest, uh, I have a DC Comics recommendation. Um uh, I am going to recommend uh, Mike Grell's run on Green Arrow from the 1980s. Um, Good choice. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I was able to pick up the uh, entire run of the trade paperbacks uh, early in the pandemic last year, um, and I've been working my way through them. Um, they were some of, uh, if folks are not familiar with them, they were some of uh, DC's first uh, four mature readers comics, um, which paved the way for Vertigo and which mm-hmm. is now currently Black Label. Um, by and large, I think they have held up really well. Um, a lot of the DNA um, from the best parts of the CW's Arrow series, I think, comes straight yeah. out of these issues. Um, and I would say it's, it's sort of a it's a superhero book where the superheroing is uh, de-emphasized. It's it's often not even the most interesting part of the story. Um, it's just it's very earnest and, and very good-hearted in a way that it doesn't always age perfectly but it's one of those books that was just very important for the time uh, and there's still a lot to really love about it um you know almost four decades later so um yeah if you get a chance to pick up the green arrow the micro green arrows i suggest doing so all right yeah what do you got rob i did uh i did a little bit of dc uh, this is the batman judge dread collection um this is just so <laughs> Uh, so it's not as good of a choice, I think, as yours, but it's uh, uh, it was published in 2014 um, and it's, you know, it's it's half DC, half 2000 AD. Um, and it is a it's a fun collection of the of Dread and Mr. Wayne meeting in extra dimensional hijinks um, with with a Lobo and Dread story thrown in there, too. Uh, and so it's very 90s. It's a very 90s aesthetic, aesthetic. That's late, the Alan Grant stuff. Yeah, right? Alan Grant, yep. um, yeah. John Wagner, uh, Glenn Fabry and Simon Bisley. There's a lot of Bisley art in there. So it's it's very of this time. And it was a it was sort of the time for me, you know, is it it just hitting my um, late teens at this point in the like 91 or so when they started doing these crossovers and um and i so i was still madly in love with comics but uh but i was starting to understand that i was outgrowing as we were we were talking about sort of the superhero story um it was i was getting into more like parodies like the tick and um and into these sort of elseworlds and just what you know anything but the normal story for a hero and uh, and so Judge Dredd was its own thing in in England and in 2000 AD and and it had been uh, sort of all of those stories have been coming across to to America uh, and these these crossovers were just so great because they're just so uh, the, you know Batman is is such a a, a character that is. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. He is he's like a like a, uh, a like a god. Like he is very he has an exacting character, and Judge Dredd has an exacting character. And those two 
are not exactly going to see eye to eye, especially about, you know, weapons use, killing people and other um, very specific things. But both of them have a bit of a fascist bent. So they did get along in some ways. And it, so it was interesting <laughs> to see that crossover. So again, not, uh, not the, it's more like eating candy at the movie. It's a great artifact of the era. Um, and, and you get to see some great sort of airbrushed painted Simon Bisley art throughout, uh, which is always fun and dynamic. But uh, again, I'm going to go with Brian's recommendation over mine, but check it out. <laughs> cool. Uh, Paul, do you think, uh, do you have anything to recommend uh, that you think our listeners would enjoy checking out or that you think they should check out uh, after uh, a nonstop diet of 1960s Marvel comics? <laughs> <laughs> I will admit I haven't read, you know, new comics in about, you know, ever since I had to start paying for them. Sure. And, um, <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, I'm really not up on anything current. Um, but, you know, there there are little gems hidden away in D- both DC and Marvel. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have been reprinted, um, you know, uh, off the top of my head, uh, a, a quick little a quick little read, but well worth the, the time and effort is uh, Batlash a 1960s Western series that was co-created by uh, Sergio Aragonas and, and Joe Orlando um, and uh, Denny O'Neill. And uh, it was uh, ran an issue of Showcase and then seven issues of its own, I think, uh, with art by Nick Cardi. And it just, it's, it's a wonderfully, it's a funny Western uh, uh, series, um, um, you know, Batlash is... Uh, the, the, the slogan on the uh, on the ad for the showcase was, "Will he save the West or ruin it?" And, uh, <laughs> you know, he was a a pacifist womanizer. Um, he was kind of like a James Garner character, but without okay. a conscience. You know, so. <laughs> Maverick <laughs> without a conscience. <laughs> Maverick without a conscience. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, great! I'm gonna have to check that out. Um, well, and uh, the Cardi art, which is always yeah. supreme. Yeah, that's that never hurts. Um, Paul, thank you again so much for for spending time with us uh, this week. Um, where where can folks find you on the internet, and and what can we plug for you? Well, I'm usually in Pornhub, and then there, no, um, <laughs> there's uh, uh, you can find me on uh, paulcupperberg dot com, um, and uh, also uh, Facebook and uh, and uh, uh, Twitter. Um, and, um, you know, standing around, uh, uh, highway exits with a cardboard sign going by my book. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you again. This has been a delight. Um, and, uh, we'll just, uh, remind our listeners, uh, that they can, uh, support the nonsense that we do here, uh, by subscribing to our Patreon for the fantastic price of four bucks a month at patreon.com slash marvel by the month and get exclusive content including an extended version of this very episode uh we would love to have your reviews of the podcast any five-star reviews um that you leave on apple podcasts or anywhere else we'll send you a dollar we'll send you something that is maybe almost worth a dollar give us a a (laughs) screenshot uh send that to (laughs) marvel by the month at gmail.com with your mailing address we'll put some stuff in the mail uh, I'm going to keep that vague so it sounds more interesting. It's like, um, it's like the Marvel, the Mary Marvel Marching Society. No I got pride. a pencil. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, and uh, MarvelByTheMonth.com has links to our other social channels as well as our shop. Uh, I think we have some T-shirt designs that. Oh yeah, we need to plug the book be... one more time too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
you should all, uh, if you have not already, you should own a copy of uh, Paul's book. Uh, I never write for the money, but I always turn in the manuscript for a check. Uh, it is half memoir, half uh, how to write comics. And if uh, I may, if yes. you want a full how to write comics, I also wrote Paul Kupperberg's Illustrated Guide to Writing Comics, which is uh, available uh, on Amazon. There you um, go. And uh, also I have uh, 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 Justice Society of America novel, JSA Ragnarok, uh, available, um, and, uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, uh, you know, look me up on Amazon. Fantastic. Or give me nice. a call and we'll have coffee. I don't there care. You go. I just, it's, it's, I'm lonely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that's all for this week. Uh, my name is Brian Stratton. Mine is Rob Milne. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay inside and read comics. Bye.